Podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. As you probably know, before we start an episode of the Paracast, we chat. This gives the guests a chance to have a beverage, hopefully something that doesn't have any stimulants, except for caffeine, of course, and then maybe set up their mics. So we're talking with our guest this week, Robert Powell, who has a stellar reputation as a scientific UFO investigator. That's the only compliment he gets. I'm kidding. We're talking about the mobile phones we're using. And I mentioned, as most listeners know, I prefer to use Apple products. And one major reason is that, and this is a general comment, there are obvious exceptions. You turn the darn things on, they work. You don't have maybe quite the granular adjustments of an Android phone or a Windows computer compared to a Mac. On the other hand, the large majority of the adjustments set to their default settings are more than adequate to let you do your stuff without a lot of fuss or muss. You know, like turning off the phone so you don't hear it ringing when someone tries to call me. Usually the call is going to be spam anyway. Robert, do you get lots of spam calls? Oh, I I get at least uh, six or seven, no, probably 15 spam calls a day, I would say. That's about right. I'm looking at my record. I have something from AT&T called Call Protect that's supposed to warn you in the event of a spam call. So it sort of <laughs> kind of helps. And then the other thing it does, and I'm not advertising AT&T because I'm not a huge fan of theirs, and that is they have something you pay for, which is their mobile security app. And the mobile security app is nice in the one sense that it gives you all sorts of extra features like a VPN if you connect, say, to another Wi-Fi network, say, at your Starbucks or something. Uh, by the way, we just gave Starbucks a promotion. We'll send the bill to the head of Starbucks, the CEO, in about an hour. And you don't want to have to have somebody try to hack you as you're sitting there trying to establish a connection. I don't know where this started. Let me ask you, Robert, do you follow the crazy back and forths in the UFO field about whether people are legitimate or not? You know, I I probably used to follow it more than I do now. I would say that I guess I make my own opinions on who's legitimate and who's not, and then I, I don't really follow the gossip on the Internet or anywhere. Well, I'll give you an example of some kind of chatter. I know that we briefly talked or tried to talk about this with Leslie Kane. Leslie Kane, of course, is one of the co-authors of that big New York Times piece. She's done several, and this is the one that started back in December of 2017. So we were talking about the stories, the contradictory stories, about the status of Luis Elizondo as head of this Pentagon study or just a member of the staff. And as a practical matter, probably doesn't matter in the scheme of things, but there was that. And then, do you know Nick Pope? I've met Nick once. Okay, it's closer to me. We've talked to him on the show several times, and he was on After the Paracast once where he talked about his interest in conspiracy theories. In any case, there's an article now at Kevin Randall's A Different Perspective, actually two articles, 
about some kind of debate over what Nick Pope did with the Ministry of Defense in the UK. You know, because he presents himself as head of their UFO desk. And I guess the claim is that the desk at which he worked, where he was a receptionist, paper pusher kind of person, only did UFO cases as part of what his work was. He wasn't just sitting there doing UFOs. Secondly, that he didn't go out and investigate UFOs. If he came into something he thought should be passed on, he would contact like the Royal Air Force or something, the appropriate agency. Now, this doesn't mean he wasn't involved in UFOs, but maybe there's a tad of exaggeration if that's the case. What's your take about this, Robert, or do you care? I really don't care a lot about all of that stuff. I mean, in Nick's case, <laughs> I, I think Nick is more of a, uh, I guess what I would just say, he likes to talk about UFOs a lot. I don't really think of Nick as an investigator of UFOs. And then like Luis Elizondo, there was a huge amount of information about, okay, did he really work for ATIP or did ATIP really investigate UFOs? Everyone, whenever I discuss this with them, I would just say, you know, what I really care about is did that event happen on November 14th, 2004? I don't care about what what exactly was Luis Elizondo's title and, and how did he get into that group? To me, the more important thing is the whole concept of the UFO phenomenon. Well, the fact that he was part of it all is that. But the other thing is here. And this is the bigger issue. Other than being involved, what has he contributed to the UFO field? Maybe he gives it a tad of credibility. But in terms of learning anything, have we learned anything from Luis Elizondo? No insult intended. Right. In my view, the most value that he has uh, contributed is he's really brought it to the attention, not only of the wider public, but to the national media. He's gotten a lot of spotlight there. And more importantly, he's brought it to the attention of Congress. So I, I think his contribution has been very valuable in that area. In the sense of basically getting the word out. Right. And getting the word out. Now, to your point, I, I agree. Luis is not uh, what I would consider someone who's you know, extremely knowledgeable of the field. But he's done a great job of getting the word out and getting it before Congress. So I respect what he's done a lot. So let's let me chime in here for our listeners. Uh, let me let me ring the chimes here. I'm sorry we have no sound effects, folks. This is a low budget radio show, so therefore we don't have chimes. Go ahead, Rand. <laughs> What for for our listeners, what we're talking about here is Nick Pope, who is becomes a, you know a pretty well known kind of talking head in uh, UFO culture. So we've got a, a document here uh, that comes from what looks like the Directorate of Air Staff in the Ministry of Defense in in uh, Great Britain uh, that says. Mr. Pope elected to describe his position as the head of the MOD's information uh, UFO project, a term entirely of his own invention, and he has used his experience and, and, and information he gathered frequently by going beyond 
the official remit of his position to develop a parallel career as a pundit on the topic, including writing several books, some purportedly nonfiction. Mr. Pope constantly puts himself forward in various parts of the media, solicited and unsolicited as an expert, despite his lack of recent knowledge about the work carried on in the branch concerned, and seeks credit among other aficionados for having forced MOD to reveal its secret files on the subject. The latter is far from the truth, and as we had begun publishing details of the most popular reports in the publication scheme prior to the advent of the Freedom of Information Act, Mr. Pope's activities have nevertheless resulted in the generation of considerable workload for the staff currently employed in the res- in responding to queries on this topic. Basically, that's it. There's more, but that's the that's the gist of the thing. But we kind of already un- already knew that, right? Didn't we, Gene? Okay, so basically, Nick Pope was a paper pusher and receptionist. We call him an executive assistant now because we can't say secretary anymore. Because even though he was a male, that has what sexist connotations. I'm not really sure. Robert Powell's joining us, and he's way above this, as you'll see in a few moments as we continue to get past this with Gene and with Randall. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. The stress levels of Americans may be at an all-time high. From education to business to basic needs to politics, the 2020 pandemic-related stressors are pushing many of us to near breaking point. That's why you should consider the stress and pain-relieving products from sunny-bay.com. Like our lavender neck wraps and pads infused with premium Washington lavender buds. They relieve tension and relax with a soothing scent of lavender. And lifestyle expert Jennifer Bonner recommends products from Sunny Bay. Sunny Bay's hands-free neck wrap should be your go-to pain relief solution. Give gifts to family and friends that relieve stress and pain. Give love and care by giving the best. Give pillows, neck wraps, and body wraps from sunny-bay.com, a Biomed DB design company. Just click sunny-bay.com. That's sunny-bay.com. Hey. 
frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So before we get started on the serious stuff, we're engaged in kind of the usual back and forth that one encounters within the UFO field. Robert Powell joins us. And by the way, his bio indicates 28 years experience, maybe more now. You're still with them? Advanced micro devices, which we all know is AMD. Actually, I was very fortunate in that I was able to retire early. I retired from AMD back in 2006. And I bet they offered a hell of a pension plan. It was a good deal. It wasn't a pension plan, but it was a good deal. (laughs) Now, of course, we know about Radions. We know about Ryzen ships. I mean, AMD has become a real killer company. They used to be like a bad also ran to Intel, but their latest network chips are just fabulous. What kind of work did you do for AMD? I I did a lot of different things at Advanced Micro Devices. Uh, I started off working on their Flash product in what was called product engineering. And I did that for a number of years. And then I went into their quality group. So I was the uh, manager in quality for a number of years. And then I also managed uh, their state-of-the-art chemistry lab because I'm a chemist by trade. But maybe the funnest thing I did was I managed the uh, research and development group there. And so I had a number of PhDs that uh, were in my group that worked for me. 
and that's where I got the patents, and uh, that's where I learned it's not so hard to get a patent. I used to think that was some magical thing that's like, how do you get a patent? Oh, you must be a genius to get a patent. And I found out, no, as long as you've got a company and attorneys that will pay the 5000 bucks to get you the patent, you can get one. Well, don't they normally look for patents just as for protection, even though the product may never, ever, ever actually be produced? But if you have a patent, therefore nobody else can try to produce something with that technology without paying you a check. Right. You, you do that, and you also do it to protect your own products so that uh, – because there are people out there who create these very generic patents so that as soon as a corporation creates a product, they can go jump on it and say, hey, I already have a patent on there. You guys need to pay me a piece of the action. So it's important to have a patent just so you can protect yourself from those kind of things. Well, protection then. I know Apple files numerous patents for different technologies, but they don't have a folding iPhone. They do have technology for it. They have some really wacky stuff. And maybe 10 years from now, they will produce a product. But I don't know about patent laws, and this is not part of our discussion. Isn't it also important that when a company gets a patent, eventually they actually have to use it? If they don't use it, that's logical grounds for another company to attack that registration? Well, I'm not a patent attorney either, but I can say that my understanding is that once you, your patent is approved, uh, your company company does not have to actually produce a product using that patent. But all patents will expire after 17 years. So they have 17 years to make something, and it doesn't matter what they do. Yeah. Okay, so therefore we can look at the patents made in 2003. Okay, 17 years, right? (laughs) Let's have Adam and let's produce some stuff. Of course, who cares about the patents from 2003 anymore because of technology? Let me ask you a question here. Because you've been exposed to technology, looking at UFOs, what they are supposed to be able to do in terms of maneuverability, you would think they're still way, way beyond our technology, right? I would say hundreds of years beyond. Okay. So the kind of maneuverability they display, we're not going to do that in 2063 with the first warp drive from Zephyrin Cochran. <laughs> yeah, right. Even Zephyrin Cochran, his, uh, you know, that garbage can he put together and took off at warp speed, even his won't be able to maneuver like that. And remember, he just did warp speed. He didn't do anything else. So he didn't have any phaser cannons. He didn't have any of the other features of maneuverability. He just did that one thing. That was it. Well, it was quite enough to alert the Vulcans. But seriously speaking, you think, therefore, that what UFOs are reputed to do today, we won't be able to do that until 2520 or later? Uh, Or in the year 2525, if man is still alive? (laughs) 
<laughs> That's one of my. I, I really like that song from the seventies. Um, you know, it's hard to say what we will or will not be able to do way out into twenty five twenty five. But I don't see us being able to do anything like that in the next one hundred to two hundred years. Well, let's talk a little bit too about you, the sort of the way that you look at the subject compared to a couple of other common groups. So, for example, uh, you are also with the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. Uh, now, that UAP in on your site is stands for Unidentified Aerospace Phenomena. Correct. Right, and uh, and then it says commonly known as unidentified flying objects, UFOs. And UFOs, of course, are uh, pretty much, I mean, the, the definition of that is pretty much an alien craft of some kind. So then we're talking about, you know, we don't know if it's necessarily interstellar, but I mean, if you go, if you put UFO into a search engine, you'll just get pages and pages and pages of spaceships. And um, then you'll get a few people who will say, well, no, it's just a generic, like, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Well, we don't know what it is. It could be a vague light off in the distance. But if you really look back to the United States Air Force definition, it's anything but a vague light off in the distance. It leaves no room for anything but something truly extraordinary. But then you've got organizations like NARCAP, and they have a different definition. They They call also use UAP, but they call it unidentified aerial phenomenon. Then they have this a little bit of a long-winded definition that parallels the definition that QFOs had, where it's basically, they don't say it's necessarily a, a ship or a craft. It, it, it's just some, again, it could, just some, could be some vague light off in the distance, but it's supposed to be better studied than that and observed by people who are somewhat credible and should know the difference between something mundane and something that's not. But it still might be, say, some sort of, you know, unknown bird or or an atmospheric phenomenon that nobody's ever heard of before. Whereas uh, in ufology and the people who are studying that, where's like Stanton Friedman, for example, he just says flying saucers. Let's do our break. Let's do our break, folks. More to come with Robert Jean and Randall. You're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Mineral Doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again... 
USA Radio News with Dan Naraki. The United States continues to see rising coronavirus cases across the country, setting a new single-day record on Friday for new cases. Another 227,000 new cases were reported yesterday, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. 2,011 Americans died of the disease Friday as well. The case spike comes as a vaccine against the virus may be days away from FDA approval. Glenda Shields was part of the trial study for the Pfizer vaccine, which is up for an emergency use approval next week. He tells Fox News about the side effects he experienced after getting the vaccine. I've never really had a reaction to a vaccine before, and I did have a reaction to this one. Uh, I had I mean, headaches and fatigue were the big thing. I didn't take you know any kind of like aspirin or ibuprofen on the first shot. The second shot I did, and I did it basically. Muted all the effects. This is USA Radio News. Doctors in Connecticut are asking for tighter coronavirus restrictions as healthcare systems are being overwhelmed by COVID patients. Kenneth Burns has the story from the USA Radio News East Coast Bureau. Doctors in Connecticut asked their governor, Ned Lamont, to shut down indoor dining and gyms to stop the spread of the coronavirus. That letter was spearheaded by Dr. Luke Davis, a critical care physician at Yale New Haven Hospital. He told CBS News that he and other hospital staff are getting tired. It's a very difficult uh, disease, and the thing that makes the biggest difference is just not having the hospitals be overloaded, having enough staff to take care of people. Nearly 700 people signed an online version of the letter. And starting Sunday, two regions of California will fall under a stay-at-home order. California Governor Gavin Newsom announced earlier this week that regions of the Golden State would fall under that order when the area's ICU capacity fell below a certain threshold. The State Department of Public Health announced Saturday that the Southern California and San Joaquin Valley regions had crossed that threshold and would be under the three-week order. This is USA Radio News. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? Ninety-two thousand dollars ouch the irs left no room for jake to breathe they put a lien on my house took all the money out of my bank account took money out of my paychecks so it was a nightmare he needed help fast i figured that all these companies were the same until i called federal tax management you could just tell they knew what they were talking about right then and there i felt like i had some hope stop the liens levies and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special irs programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt so how to go for jake they did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. Marie D. Jones, the author of this book is from the future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Randall, you want to pick up on what you were talking about? Just before the break, we were talking about the different versions of what we're talking about here, and we had just gotten to the version of UFO by researchers like our uh, dearly departed Stanton Friedman, who would just say, "Look, I'm you know I'm an, uh, not an apologist ufologist. We're talking about flying saucers. We're talking about alien craft, probably interstellar, technical, and visiting us here on Earth." 
where do you stand on that map of versions when it comes to using the term UAP or UFO? Like, Well, you know, we actually had a long debate on the term we should use when the SCU was created in uh, September of 2017. We ditched the word UFO simply because there's too much of a connotation with that word and little green or gray aliens inside the ship and all, all the craziness that goes with it. We wanted to stay away from the craziness. We decided to go the same way the Navy went, which was to call it unidentified aerospace phenomena. We went with aerospace instead of aerial because aerospace indicates it can be in the ocean, in the air, or in space. We had the same debate you just mentioned. The thing is, is like on the, on the SCU site, it, it says commonly known as unidentified flying objects or UFOs. So really for you then, it sounds like a synonym for UFOs, which, you know, everybody just goes, okay, we're talking about aliens. Uh, NARCAP is like, no, not necessarily. UFOs are some subset of the thing, you know, and, and in both cases, it seems like there's this idea that you, that the organizations wanted to distance themselves from the idea the very idea of UFOs being some kind of an alien craft because they didn't want to be thought of as unscientific or jumping to conclusions. I think that is caused really by the, how the media portrays the whole subject. They want a picture of a little gray alien getting ready to abduct someone. That's what they want to hear. And so from a scientific viewpoint, my view is the only thing I know for certain is that UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to call them, physically exist, and they're controlled by an intelligence, and they are not manufactured by one of the nations on this earth. And other okay. than that, I can't oh, okay. say where they come from. I can't even say absolutely they're off-world, right? Because we don't really know. I've never right. captured one. That's pretty much the same view as this, you know, a standard ufologist or like Friedman would take almost. Friedman was very much a proponent of the interstellar hypothesis or something off world, generally speaking, is where Stan would have gone with that. But I am more leaning towards what you're talking about there, Robert, where you're saying, well, OK, it might be something earthly, but being from beyond the boundaries and constructs of our known civilization yeah, that really does make it alien. And and if we're talking about some sort of constructed craft, well, we're talking about alien craft. So I'm with you on that. I believe that maybe some of the phenomena out there that people have observed might not be alien craft. But I'm not so sure that that's what we're really interested in. I think what, at least what ufologists are interested in mainly is the core idea of we've got some kind of alien craft visiting us from who knows where. How does it work? Where is it from? Why are they here? How did it get constructed? How does it work? That sort of thing. As opposed to say, oh, it's a different kind of cloud that's you know really up high in the atmosphere that gets electrically charged once in a while and gives off a strange glow. I mean, that's interesting and it's related, but it's not the core subject matter. Right. I agree with you on that. You've also recently released a book 
about this then, explaining some of this to young people called The Truth About UFOs by Robert Powell. And, and I'd really like to go through some of the cases and what inspired you to write this book. I just released this book only one to two weeks ago. It makes a great Christmas gift for a kid. And the age group is 7 to 12. I never really intended to write this book, but I was uh, babysitting my grandkids back in January of this year. And the middle child, he was eight years old, he had this book on UFOs that he had checked out of the school library. And so I said, uh, Gavin, what do you have there? And he said, oh, I want to learn about UFOs. And I said, let me take a look at that book. So I open it up. And this book is full of what I consider non-facts, and it's full of pictures of gray aliens and stories stated as fact, you know, that these things are out abducting people and all these horrible things they do to people. And I'm like, oh, I cannot imagine a more horrifying book for a young kid to read. And so I said, Gavin, I said, this book's not true. I want you to take it back to the library, and I don't want you to read this. And I could tell he was a little disappointed, and I said, I'll tell you what. I will write you a book that tells you the truth about UFOs. And so that's why I wrote this book, The Truth About UFOs. For eight years old, you know, that is an interesting inspiration because it makes it so personal. It's not just writing it for young people, but something really personal to you. Now, just parenthetically, I started in the UFO thing when I was 11, and I read in a book for adults, Flying Saucers from Outer Space by Major Kehoe. But then again, his way of writing was based on the style of a mystery pulp writer, so it came through pretty quick, pretty smooth. Yeah, I haven't read Kehoe's book what got me interested in the topic actually was uh, J. Allen Hynek's book, The UFO Experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where we got close encounters from and the various categor categories, right? That's from QFOS. They came up with close encounters of the first, second, third, and even the fourth kind, and even later the fifth kind, which, you know, Stephen Greer kind of co-opted that with his own thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the classic stuff, as well as Kehoe. But your book is more oriented towards kids or young people who just want to get an overview and a feel for the subject. But like you were saying, not to alarm their parents if they happen to be particularly younger children. Because like you were saying, some of this, some of this stuff about UFOs can be pretty scary. Oh, yeah, especially for an impressionable child to hear that there are things that can just come into your room and take you away. And there's nothing, you know, mommy and daddy can do to help you. I mean, can you imagine anything worse for a kid to read? Actually, my younger brother and I, <laughs> I was really into UFOs, so I, I would get my hands on anything I could. And my parents didn't seem to care. And there was a title called UFOs are Hostile. There was a story in there about the, the Lemon family incident and uh, where they they had a very it was it was just like something out of sort of almost like a horror sci fi movie. And we used to to read it and just to scare ourselves as kids at night. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it, it, but 
it, it went through a lot of things where you know UFOs had shot beams of light, blinded people, burnt people. It went through uh, spontaneous human combustion, and there was some some. This was a little bit before the abduction. I almost am tempted to use the word craze or fad or something started, but I mean, it, it, it even that was a little bit in there, you know, missing time and stuff. Yes. Um, the, the other thing I try to do the, in the book is I give it a little science flavor to the book because my grandson likes science. And so uh, I explain about flying saucers and UFOs and I explain it um, in a way that a, a child of that age um, can think about it, you know. Hey, I got to do a break here. We're running over. More to come with Robert, Gene, and Randall. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains 
contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair care system is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses. Your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nanocolloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. More with Robert Jean and Randall on the Paracast this week. Robert, go ahead. So I wrote this book with a, a little bit of a science flavor to it, especially for kids in that young age group that are becoming very curious and kind of deciding if they're going to go into a scientific field or not. So I explained to them a little bit about what are facts versus what's a hypothesis versus what's is, what is a theory. And I give them examples kids can understand, like – If you wanted to determine, do earthworms like the shade or the sunshine, right? You could do a little experiment and set up your earthworms in a box and and at the end of the day, see if the earthworms were on the sunny side of the box or the shady side of the box. And that's a, a way to test your hypothesis. So this is how I explain to them how you test your hypothesis. So I give them a little bit of a flavor of that, but not getting very deep into those type subjects. And then after that, I give them examples of UFO cases from the past. And I try to use examples that, one, I consider them, you know, very good cases. And two, uh, hopefully they have a few pictures because kids love pictures. I keep it for each case. I keep it between three and five pages. I try to make it interactive and interesting for the kids. So, you know, they're not just reading a case. Here's one. I'll give you an example. The McMahon Uh, 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 case. Yeah, sure. Actually, do you have your book next to you right there? Yeah. How about just read us a couple of paragraphs? And uh, this, so again, this is for young people, say tweens, or maybe ages eight to you know, and into their teens kind of thing. How about reading us? Just just read us a couple of paragraphs right out of the book. 
The sun had already set when Mr. and Mrs. Trent turned into the driveway of their farm in rural Oregon. It was May 11th, 1950, and Mrs. Trent had been doing work in the yard, and she had a little folding camera in her lap that she'd used to take some family pictures earlier in the afternoon. Cameras were much different in 1950 than they are today. They weren't electronic, and you could not instantly see the picture that you had taken. You had to remove a photographic film from the back of the camera, mail it to a company that would turn your film into a picture, and wait several days before your pictures came back. Here is a picture of what Mrs. Trent's camera looked like. Isn't it strange? Ask your grandparents how one of these cameras worked, and they will probably enjoy telling you some stories. From there, I go in and I describe the incident of what happened when they took a picture of the uh, flying saucer. I'm going to say this before you go on. I enjoyed that because you're teaching the reader not just what happened, but about how we were then in terms of technology. So they understood the environment in which these people existed when this photo was taken. Right. And that's a very good point, because in history, you really have to understand it at the time the event occurred and not in modern times. I think that's a lack of history books, because I don't remember a lot of teachers doing that when I was a kid. Putting me in the place where these things happen. Yeah, you know, uh, it was the same for me when I was a kid. I hated history. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's the class where I have to memorize things. And that's how I saw history. But you turned it into a story, but a story I think that wouldn't just appeal to a younger age. I think even teenagers would find this enjoyable because how many people 15, 16 years old even understand that perspective unless you portray it for them? Exactly. And so that's kind of what I try to do throughout the book when I tell each story. You, you know, this, the case of the Tehran, Tehran UFO, like I throw in there, you probably heard of Iran, that they're our enemy. And then I say in the book, I said, but, you know, in 1976, they were our good friend. <laughs> right. They learn a lesson there about the crazy way politics works. Like the Germans were our enemies in World War II, but now our best friends were uh, until somebody tried to change that. Exactly. So it's, uh, I guess as we get older, we've lived some of that history. So we know what the history is. And then to see a generation that doesn't really know what that history is, it's, I guess, kind of appalling sometimes. In any case here, do you try to draw a conclusion in the book or is it mostly to acquaint the younger folk with the things that have happened? I tell the story, and then in the last paragraph, I kind of go, I don't go to a conclusion. I try to get them to think about it. So, like, here's the way that that story ends. It says, do you think that Mr. and Mrs. Trent might have thrown something into the air to make it look like a UFO? All of the people that knew the Trents said that they were very honest people and would not create a hoax. 
It has been 70 years since the trench took the photo, and still no one knows for certain if that is a real photo of a UFO or, or not. So I, I try not to do absolutes. And I say this in the preface of the book. I try to teach kids that life is really shades of gray. Things aren't always, you know, absolutes. We never know for certain one way or the other on things. You know, having raised that, you bring out a point here, too, that a lot of books I've read about UFOs try to paint themselves into a corner about what UFOs are about and what they are and draw a conclusion. But the other thing about it that's interesting is we're talking about many moons ago, a really, really good picture of a UFO. How many good UFO photos have there been in the last 25, 30 years that are even comparable? Not many. And isn't that interesting because this is the big discussion we wonder about here. And we were talking about mobile devices before. Basically, hundreds of millions of people have a really good camera in their pocket. Many of those cameras are almost as good as professional cameras. They're even used to make movies. But we still don't have any better UFO pictures. Well, one thing that has changed is in the 1950s and 40s, there were a lot more daytime UFO sightings. Today, there don't seem to be near as many daytime sightings. And at nighttime... I don't know if you tried to go out and film the stars uh, with, you know, your cell phone camera, but it's not a very effective tool at uh, filming at night. And even the cameras that have a night mode that artificially change the background, distant objects are not necessarily going to be really that much better. It's still going to be lights in the sky. But I I agree with you there. Fewer daytime sightings. Is that a choice in the part of the force behind UFOs? Why? You know, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It's like, well, why are there fewer daytime sighting? And I, I don't have an answer for that. But other than that is a fact. But, you know, you raise a point there. Partly, of course, it may just be our social habits. Nowadays, people don't look up. They look down at their mobile device. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I saw anyone looking up at anything. Nowadays, they either look straight ahead or they look down. They look down at their iPhone. They look down at their Samsung. They don't look up. And maybe it's not so much that there are fewer things to be seen up there. It's that we have fewer witnesses who care to check. No, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I noticed that uh, most people never look up at the sky. Um, and if, if you look at case reports, your case reports usually come from smaller cities where people have a little bit more tendency to do so. But now the larger cities, well, for one thing, there's not much to see in the sky because of all the light pollution. Uh, so you're only going to see maybe, depending on the city you're living in, Um, Maybe as few as just half a dozen 
uh, stars that you can see in the night sky. Robert Powell joins us with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So we're talking here about UFOs, why they're not seen or reported as often during the day, the difficulty of seeing them at night even if you were looking up, and, of course, the questions of pollution in larger cities. So, therefore, more sightings might occur if they do in rural areas. But I still think kids who live in a town of a 1,000 people are still looking down at their mobile devices. I think you're right for the kids, yes. They're still looking down at their, at their mobile devices. That's a problem of the modern technopoly of the world, Well, I have an interesting question here, too. And obviously, I haven't read your book, since it's not really oriented towards me or anyone in my immediate (laughs) family. My son is, right now, he's 34. The point being here is that, do you provide any information on on how young people can learn the Skywatch and to recognize what might be strange? Oh, yes. In, In this book, like, I've got one chapter where I talk about 
basically what a UFO is. And then at the end of the chapter, I talk about, I ask the reader, I said, name five things that you think people most often look at in the sky and think it's a UFO when it's not. And then I tell them to turn the page, and then I give them, here are the five things that people most often misidentify as a UFO. And I tell them, you know, the best way to be able to identify a UFO is you need to learn, you know, what objects in the sky look like, which means you have to look at the sky. And then you should take science courses so that you have a better understanding of how to think, you know, do critical thinking on what you're looking at and what the possibilities are and whether or not you're truly looking at something that can't be explained. You know, they'll become MUFON's field investigators when they grow up, if there still is a MUFON, of course. (laughs) Right, yeah. We don't want to get into the culture of that. But I've just been looking here, and this book really sounds like something that you have to get a handle on for the people in your family who might be interested. You see, when I grew up, I was watching the space sci-fi shows on TV like Captain Video and Space Patrol and all that stuff. So I was a natural victim to read about Major Kehoe's books. But nowadays, I don't know. What do they watch? What in their personal experience would prepare them for this unless they see something? That's a good question. I'm not sure how most kids would be prepared if they did see something they didn't understand. It makes you wonder what they would do. They'd probably uh, you know, get their phone out and pr- try to Google it or maybe you know, <laughs> take a picture of it or something. But, I mean, this brings up an interesting point, though. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, you were also involved in the investigation of the Blue Plasma Dogbone Barbell UFO Canadian case that is with MUFON, case 74282. You, you might need to help me along here a little bit, but it seems to me that in that during that incident they they tried to uh, get a picture of the thing with the cell phone but as with other incidents it seems like there's some sort of em field or something that is heating the phones or the chips or causing them just to not work anymore or not work properly a lot of the time can you tell us a bit more about that case go into a little sure. more detail I can go into however much detail we want to on that case. Uh, Now, I did mention it in the book for kids, but it's, you know, I I give a shortened view and it's only four to five pages. But in a nutshell, there are um, a group of guys, three guys, uh, one of whom is a scientist and he had he works has contracts with the Department of Defense. The guy has numerous patents, and he has an engineering firm that works for him. So he's with two of his buddies, and they're way up in the middle of nowhere in Ontario, and they're hunting for black bear. So they, you know, they're shoot a couple of black bear. He's his he's got a Sony video camera, and 
he's taken videos of it. And so I've seen, he's shown me the videos, the black bear. And so these guys, they load them up in their truck and they head down the road. Now they're in the middle of nowhere. And to tell you how, how far away from anything, there is no cell coverage. So they're going down what's an old logging road. And the uh, scientist is sitting in the back of this pickup truck, and the other two guys are in the front. And he sees out of his peripheral vision this light approaching the truck. Now, bear in mind, it's 930 at night. It's totally dark. You can see all the stars in the sky where they're at. And the first thought that comes to his mind is that we've got a helicopter headed towards us, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. So he has a very uncomfortable feeling because why would a helicopter be out there? But they continue down the road. He doesn't say anything to the two guys in front. And this light begins to get brighter and brighter, and then it crosses in front of them. And at that point in time, it has gotten within about – 400 feet of them and so they stop their truck and he takes out and at that point in time he knows this is not a helicopter because he sees this giant dog bone or dumbbell shape however you want to describe that object in front of him it basically looks like two discs connected by a bar so thus, you know, the barbell UFO, uh, totally non-aerodynamic. And he's looking at this thing, and it's got a indigo haze, uh, what he believes is a plasma all around the object. And the object has stopped moving. It's just sitting in front of him. He takes out that Sony video camera he had just used to video the black bears. He turns the camera on. As soon as he turns it on, it turns itself off. As soon as he, t- he does it two or three times, and it immediately goes off. So he gives up on his camera, and he takes out his Android cell phone. And he grabs it, and it's like in a boot-up boot mode is what it seems like to him, which it shouldn't have been. And the phone's hot, so it's not working. Uh, there's another party with them, but uh, uh, several miles away. So they grab the uh, – they've got a Motorola uh, field radio phone, and they get uh, it to call, and it's, it's basically burned out. So it won't work at all. It's destroyed, actually. Uh, so the next thing he does is he takes out his rifle that he'd been using for bear hunting because – it's got a 9X Nikon scope on it. So he places it uh, outside on the uh, door of the truck to just steady it. And so he's watching the object and making lots of mental notes. And this guy has an outstanding memory because uh, I met him in person, and I can vouch for his memory capabilities. So he's looking at this. And, of course, the other two guys, they're like, shoot it, shoot it. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to shoot something. I don't know what it is. And, uh, and then they still yell at him to shoot it, but he doesn't. And uh, so he observes this object for, oh, a good minute or two. 
uh, through a scope. Then the object begins to move again, and its movement is very strange. Uh, imagine this barbell-shaped object. We're going to move this announcement from point A to point B with Robert Jean and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. It's not over. Sadly, our nation is going through tough times again with no end in sight. And nobody knows what might happen next year. That's why it's a good idea to plan ahead so you aren't caught off guard. Nothing's more important than having enough food to eat, and we're here to help. We're My Patriot Supply, America's leading emergency preparedness company. We provide long-term emergency food that lasts up to 25 years in storage. When grocery stores run empty or disasters strike, our foods will be there when you need it most. Act now and secure at least a four-week emergency food kit full of tasty meals that provide 2,000 calories a day. We have dozens of emergency food storage kits to choose from. When the government tells you not to go out, you can have the peace of mind that comes from being prepared. When you order from MyPatriotSupply.com, your food will arrive discreetly at your doorstep in no time. Prepare today. Time is short. MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy. Some uncle I never knew called Uncle Sam. Well, they say this Uncle Sam guy wanted them to pay him like a gazillion dollars. And they didn't have a gazillion dollars. So they called this company they heard on the radio called The Tax Doctor. And The Tax Doctor worked with Uncle Sam's people. I think they're called the IRS. And they're able to work it out so my mom and dad didn't have to pay Uncle Sam very much money at all. So now mom and dad are happy. And I'm happy too. Thanks, Tax Doctor. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state, call now and pay less. 800-215-1727. 800-215-1727. That's 800-215-1727.
Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNLife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNLife.com or call toll-free 844-443-6637. That's GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We were moving from point A to point B with Robert Powell. Go ahead, please. So this object, as it begins to move, like to go from point A to point B, it doesn't just move in that manner. It is basically rotating around its center as it moves towards point B. And coming out of it is basically like sparklers, except the sparklers don't come out of a certain area of the barbell, you know, like in a plane where you would expect it to come out of the jet engines. It just comes out of whatever is away from the direction of travel. That's quite strange within itself. The object continues you know, to move away until it finally gets about a quarter mile or farther. And the scientist guy goes ahead and picks up his Motorola camera. Not, I'm sorry, not his Motorola, his Sony camera again. And he clicks it on, and this time it stays on except he notices he, he has no visual on it. He only has audio, but he doesn't know that for certain. He just knows as he's looking through it that he sees the object, but on the uh, recording device, it's just snow. But he continues to record because, you know, why not? So he does that. What happened was all you have is the audio, So the video is totally scrambled. There's only audio. And you can hear him talking in the audio. And the object moves farther away, and then it moves up to a higher altitude and takes off at a high speed. And he sees a second one later that a few minutes later that they think is a second object similar to the first one. So that's kind of the uh, nuts and bolts of the story. I found it to be extremely believable. Robert, can I ask a couple of questions there? Sure. Yeah, I just, just uh, so before uh, the last break when we got started on this, uh, so again, what year was this? This was August of 2013. Okay, and uh, Canada, and what province? Ontario. Oh, Northern Ontario, or? Well, I can't tell you the exact location because he wants all of this to remain anonymous. And one of the guys that was with him owns the land there. I mean, Ontario is huge, right? So it is you know. huge, but it's, it's basically <laughs> so in other words, it's, it, it was, it, it wasn't in the city. It was obviously oh, no. a no. city is somewhere where you can hunt bears. So I guess we could take it from there and we have three witnesses. So this is a multiple witness account from people who want to remain anonymous. So it's kind of uh, hard to say, well, these guys are just in it, you know, for the attention. Right. Because 
I went up and visited uh, the the primary witness who was a scientist. And this guy is very wealthy. I don't remember if it was a Lamborghini or a Maserati, but I mean, he's got one of those parked. He's got his own uh, research facility that his engineers work in. You walk into his research facility and you can't use your phone because he's got it uh, blocked. Uh, I mean, he does serious DOD work. Wow. Okay. Uh, now, I wonder if that's just synchronicity or, you know, if these aliens are, are keeping tabs on certain things. Because, of course, we hear about them buzzing places like Atomic Labs and, you know, Los Alamos in the States, nuclear facilities and um, missile silos and other such things. Do you think there might be a connection there? I think it's just synchronicity. Unfortunately, you know, most it's it's not that often you get a scientist who who sees a UFO up close, and it's wonderful. Was, when was he a believer before this, or, or did it, how did it affect him? You know, it it didn't. I don't think it has affected him too much. He's definitely a believer now. I think prior to this, he never really thought about it one way or another. The main thing he's doing now is he's. He still has a Sony video camera. He keeps it in a safe. He's trying to learn. He's, he's hopeful that he can figure something out based on the video camera. Myself, I don't think he can. That's just you know my opinion. He would disagree with me. Right. I think, you know, when I, I think I'd run across this video and uh, there was actually some picture of the, the snow. The, the snowy screen type th- that had right. come through. And and I think the claim there was that, well, there's a certain pattern in that, yes. in the random, in the seeming randomness that you could perhaps pick out if you, if you understood about the way it was produced that might indicate something. Right, right. No, there definitely is a pattern and he has isolated a particular frequency. I don't remember if it was every 11 milliseconds, but, uh, while I was there, we put it on it in an oscilloscope, and uh, you could see the waveforms, um, you know, of what his camera was picking up. But I just don't know what he can do with that information, right? Other than he would know that the object's emitting an EM uh, pulse at a certain wavelength, right? I mean, it's a good piece of information to know, but I don't think you can create anything from it, or, or yeah, I don't you, think you can figure out how that object flies. Yeah, you can't create a you know much more of a you know a much bigger part of the puzzle out of the smaller part of the puzzle, but you might be able to fit it in somewhere in the overall picture because uh, they had I mean that's how they've been detecting UFOs for years the Shirley's Bay detector. Um, was uh, from Willard Smith. He wrote about that, and uh, that they had a tower up there, and uh, it was for detecting EM and gravimetric uh, oscillations. Now, the gravimetric oscillations—I'm not really sure how that's measured. EM, I can understand that's measured with an antenna. Are you familiar with the way they measure gravity itself? I mean, do they use just a little weight of some kind and attach it to a a meter? Or, potentiometer of some kind or how do those work 
I'm a chemist, not a physicist, but uh, I believe the gravitometers work similar to, similar to an accelerometer. And it's, um, if I recall right, what they have in your cell phone is they have a little can, what they call a little cantilever, which is uh, it's basically a nano size uh, cantilever that can move. Um, it takes very little force to move it. And other than that, I can't really tell you from that point, how does that actually give you an accelerometer or gravitometer reading? But I know that's kind of what your, your cell phone's got one in it. And yeah, so some it, kind of a little cantilever, that would make a certain amount of scientific sense because if the gravity is greater, it would it would pull on it more and that would shift its position. And based on the amount of deflection from normal, you could calculate a difference that is either within or outside of, say, a so-called normal range. We've got a normal announcement here in normal range with more with Gene, Robert, and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. You've seen crazy diets to lose weight. At GCN Team, our healthy body weight loss system simply neutrifies the body, bringing down cravings. It has been proven that nutritional deficiencies drive appetite for carbs, sugars, and fats. Lose weight the easy way. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Fighting cravings is a fool's game. Give the body what it needs to be satisfied. Again, 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. USA Radio News with Dan Naraki. President Trump is calling on Georgia's governor and secretary of state to further investigate allegations of voter fraud in their state. The president tweeted Saturday asking why Governor Brian Kemp hasn't called for a signature verification for absentee ballots. Congressman Jody Heiss says the president isn't the only one who wants to see activity from the state's elected leaders on this matter. He tells Newsmax TV that he's had plenty of constituents express their concern over the allegations of voter fraud. There's no question. Uh, the president's uh, he, he's deeply concerned and disturbed with the inactivity of the state leaders to address apparent voter fraud in the state. And I must say, Rob, that the president's not the only one. I have been inundated. I spoke just a little while ago at a different rally taking place in another part of the state. People are deeply concerned. They're upset. This is USA Radio News. Doctors in Connecticut are asking for tighter coronavirus restrictions as healthcare systems are being overwhelmed by patients. 
Kenneth Burns has the story from the USA Radio News East Coast Bureau. Doctors in Connecticut asked their governor, Ned Lamont, to shut down indoor dining and gyms to stop the spread of the coronavirus. That letter was spearheaded by Dr. Luke Davis, a critical care physician at Yale New Haven Hospital. He told CBS News that he and other hospital staff are getting tired. It's very difficult uh, disease, and the thing that makes the biggest difference is just not having the hospitals be overloaded, having enough staff to take care of people. Nearly 700 people signed an online version of the letter. And Japan's space agency says it has found a capsule full of samples from an asteroid that its probe Hayabusa 2 sent back to Earth. The Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency said it had spotted the capsule as it landed in a remote area of southern Australia, and an operation to retrieve it is underway. The agency says that they hope the samples gathered from the asteroid Ryugu will offer clues about how our solar system formed. This is USA Radio News. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? Ninety-two thousand dollars ouch the irs left no room for jake to breathe they put a lien on my house took all the money out of my bank account took money out of my paychecks so it was a nightmare he needed help fast i figured that all these companies were the same until i called federal tax management you could just tell they knew what they were talking about right then and there i felt like i had some hope stop the liens levies and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special irs programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt so how'd it go for jake they did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Hi, this is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. The other question I would have when you mention electromagnetic radiation, and we're swimming in it right now, would that cause people to see things that aren't there? Oh, I don't think so. Not the type of electromagnetic radiation that uh, is in our normal day-to-day environment. That would just fry our brains. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it would take a lot of uh, EM to fry your brain. I mean, what's in the, you know, as we sit here, there's very, the amount of EM going through us is, you know, it's actually fairly low free, low level power. But it is possible if you have high, a high enough EM to actually affect your memories, because I've read that's been done with the magnetic field, uh, and that's you know they've got a, a patient in a in a chair and they've got a and they're trying to induce a magnetic field in a certain area of their brain, and it can cause a memory loss. So the, right. Yeah, Persinger did some studies with that up here in Canada, actually. And oh, yeah, it's been essentially proven that EM fields can affect uh, our perceptions. And uh, one of our our, um, favorite guests, Brian Bonner, he's discovered that people who have other types of paranormal experiences, such as hauntings and even visions that go along with them, in one case, they had had a cell phone tower essentially outside their apartment window. 
And, and as soon as they they yeah. moved their bedroom away from that and, and got away from it, the, the symptoms went away. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of staying away from high power lines and cell phone towers. I don't think you should live within 500 feet of one of those. Yeah, even the WHO is is reversed its recommendations for health on wireless devices. Uh, you know, there's the, the the jury's still out on whether or not they're they can cause any damage uh, over the long term. But right. uh, maybe. But maybe we should move on to another story. I, I absolutely love that uh, barbell UFO one. That is really quite good. Um, tell us another one. Well, let's see. Another story that uh, I go through in the book that's an interesting one is a case that happened in May of 1977 in Memphis, Tennessee. And this one involved a number of policemen who saw a large triangular object, you know, the standard three white lights on each corner of an equilateral triangle with a a red light in the center. And uh, the object was first seen in one part of Memphis by a highway patrolman, and then two other policemen see it. And then it gets interesting, um, another pair of policemen see it, and they're, they're going down the freeway. And they're looking over to the right, and they see what they assume must be a helicopter just sitting right above the power lines. And they decide, you know, that's not a safe thing um, to be to happen. So at their next exit, they exit and they come back around the freeway. So they look over to the to the left where the uh, object was above the power lines, but there's nothing there. But now they see it over on the right-hand side. And and now they can tell it's not a helicopter. It's this large triangular-shaped object. So, so they take the next exit. And at that exit, they pull over and they get out. And they, they actually do the same thing, too. They take out their uh, a rifle and they use the scope on the rifle to look at the object more closely. And is they're watching the object, and this was kind of interesting. Um, as they were watching it, there were the three white lights, and the object begins to move. And as it begins to pick up speed, the red center light comes on, and then it's gone within two seconds. So it's very rapid acceleration, and it disappears. So that's um, one of the stories that I, that I have in the book. Um, and it's one of my favorite of uh, the triangle cases. We've got a question on the Paracast community forums here, and uh, which uh, every for every show we we post up a, a profile about our upcoming guests, and people can write in and ask questions, or just even post a topic for discussion. If it's not a specific question, I just want to make a point or something, we'll bring it up and talk about it a bit. And here, Kenna Karras asks, can you talk a bit about the Society for Scientific Exploration and the excellent journal that is free to read? 
Highly recommended. And then we'll come back to your book again uh, and ask a question by Farlag Goldstein. Sure. Uh, the, the site, ah, my tongue is twisted. The Society for Scientific Explorations, excellent organization. I'm a member of it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be sending a copy of my book to uh, one of your fellow Canadians, Chris, I never can pronounce Chris's last name right, Rukowski. You got it. Okay. And he's going to, uh, you know, do a review of the book for the SSC, the Scientific, uh, the Society for Scientific Exploration. Um, it's an excellent organization of people that are scientifically minded with scientific backgrounds, and they publish uh, a journal, I believe, uh, I can't remember if it's monthly or quarterly, but they'll cover various topics. Now, they cover more than just the topic of UFOs. They may cover anything that's on what you might consider fringe areas of science. So, uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. I hope that answers your question. Right. And this is different than the SCU. Uh, Correct. So yeah, yeah, very interesting, both of them, actually. Uh, good luck with uh, Chris Rutkowski there. Uh, we, we were talking with him uh, fairly recently on the show and, and kind of went through, you know, why he's not affiliated with any particular group. And he's just, uh, he just, he just won't do it. <laughs> he just wants well, to he be. Is a, he is you know. a member of SSU. Um, I mean, of the uh, SCU. Yeah, I think he said, mentioned that he was kind of like, Maybe a consultant or uh, uh, something along those lines, but he, you know, he didn't want to make too big of a deal about that. Yeah, he's not on the board. You're actually on the board of directors, Correct. I believe. Yes. Yes. Now, I think that might be repeating what Groucho Marx said that he would never join a club that would have him as a member. Go on about Chris Randall. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that was essentially it there. That that uh, yeah, we love having Chris on the show. Certainly, he's he's very level-headed, well-educated, and uh, we've tried to pin him down in the past on his his beliefs, and he won't even go so far, sort of as as you have, Robert, to say that uh, you know UFOs they uh, are craft, alien craft. He just goes, I don't know what they are, <laughs> and uh, but there's something there, something objectively real. By the way, folks, we have. Robert coming back to join us on After the Paracast. So in case this episode ends and you want to hear more, and I'm sure you will, we recommend that you sign up for the Paracast Plus. To hear After the Paracast, check the Paracast.plus for more info. The Paracast.plus still giving away those coupons for a free copy of the phenomenon from James Fox. Oh, and one more thing. Diversion of the phenomenon that you can download also includes a link for three hours of extra material. This is the stuff that didn't make it into the film, extended interviews, all sorts of surprises. It's like a director's cut on steroids, the phenomenon. Check it out. To sign up to the Paracast Plus, go to the Paracast.plus, the Paracast.plus. More to come with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. 
Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's TeamGaday.com with Longevity. TeamGaday.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's a clip from the Rachel Ray Show testing the results of Instantly Ageless. Board certified dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bowe. If you're looking to try to turn back the clock on a budget, you know, in the privacy of your own home, but actually there's some recent technologies emerging, almost like changes the behavior of the skin while it sits on the skin. She went off to try a product called instantly ageless yeah instantly you could see a difference even the cameraman were like wow look at the difference yeah I mean, but i would definitely use this product this product within minutes of applying it it was actually a very dramatic rejuvenation try instantly ageless today at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com Today, many of us are paying attention to our health, and what we eat plays an important role. But so often, the water we drink is a mere afterthought when it should be a primary part of our daily nutrition. Real Water would like to change how you think about the water you drink and how it can play an important role in helping your body restore balance and reach its full potential. The key benefits of every bottle of Real Water are stabilized negative ions, balanced pH, detoxification, and it hydrates you like never before. And yes, it tastes great. Real Water is beyond alkalinity, and due to its proprietary process called E2 Technology, it's the only drinking water on the market that can maintain a stable negative ionization, which means real science in every bottle. Order your real water today and take advantage of special pricing for 
this audience only by calling 1-855-REALWTR or visiting buyrealwaternow.com. That's 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Order now, 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Before we get into another question from our listeners at the Paracast forums, Robert, have you seen that movie, The Phenomenon? Oh, yes, I've seen The Phenomenon, and I think James Fox did a great job. We had him on the show oh, I don't know, a month or two back. And he's always a great guest. And his dedication is amazing. I mean, the guy literally gave up his life, more or less, to be able to produce this film. I mean, they were editing it in this cottage without running water, bathrooms, except for the electricity to run their, their editing systems. I mean, it was just amazing. What he had to do, no, the dedication. Yeah. James is definitely dedicated. I mean, he's a boots on the ground guy. Uh, the Stephenville case, which happened in 2008 in Stephenville, Texas, uh, that's where I first met James. Uh, I mean, he he flew to Texas to, to get the information on that case and to uh, film the various witnesses. He's, uh, I have a lot of respect for James. All right, you mentioned Stephenville. What is the current feeling about that case? Um, well, I can tell you my feeling about it. I don't think enough time's gone by that most people don't think of it that much anymore. But what to me is striking about Stephenville is you had over 25 to 30 reports that occurred within a four-hour span of time across a geographical area of about 40 miles. So it's not like one person that saw it or a group of people that saw it once. You had multiple groups and people all over the place seeing it over four hours. And then to make it even better, myself and another gentleman were able to get radar data uh, on the case. So... I was able to actually, I got witness testimony, and then I was able to verify what the witness saw by getting a radar hit um, in the same location and the same time that the witness said they saw the object. So to me, there's, it's, it's one of the better cases um, that we've had in the last 20, 30 years. Indeed. Uh, also, when we're talking about children now, too, and, and uh, cases aimed at uh, young people, uh, the, uh, the cases covered in the phenomenon, the aerial school cases that happened back in 1994 in Zimbabwe, and the 1966 case in Melbourne that happened at the Westall School. Uh, uh, both including young people, quite a few young people, like several multiple witnesses, and in some cases teachers as well. Uh, are they in t- covered in your book at all? 
No, I, d- I don't cover those two cases uh, in the book. Um, I tried to, to you know, use cases that I thought would be the most interesting for kids uh, without anything that might scare them or anything. Right. Uh, the Zimbabwe case, which, you know, James has in his film, I, if I remember right, it was 1992. But it, it's... It's really a compelling when you see these children and if you watch their facial features. Here's what I recommend for anyone who watches that movie. You know, watch it the first time. Then go back to the aerial case. Turn off your uh, audio and just watch the body language and the way those children act during the times they're asked those questions. It's kind of haunting. Um, I You feel sorry for the kids because you can tell they've just had a traumatic experience. To me, that's clear. And yet you've got these adults around them um, that they're more focused on asking these little kids questions than what's happened to the kids and how they're reacting to it. Um, I, I just found that one of the neatest, uh, you know, video segments I've seen. And I, I told James, I thought for me personally, that was the best part of the whole show or the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I have to agree. When, when you see those kids telling their story, you don't get any sense that they're making it up or looking for attention, or anything else. And then it's not just one of them, it's one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then the teachers who had remained silent come forward to support their, the, the, the sighting again and support the kids that in the, in the past they were hesitant because, again, because of the stigmatization. But they finally came forward and supported them. And it... Just just a fabulous uh, account of that particular sighting. I, I mean, I don't think they harmed any of the kids. The kids were just curious. They went over, and it was really interesting because these little aliens kind of mimicked the kids at one point, at one point saying that they uh, were like they were dancing along the perimeter and, and like the kids themselves would. Yeah, I, the... the um... They pose no threat to the kids. Um, I think, and so, you know, as a result, I'm not sure what was traumatic for the kids other than, I guess, I mean, these kids, you could tell, were were intelligent kids, uh, well-educated. And I think they were just, um, maybe maybe the traumatization was because they realized they were, you know, communicating with something that wasn't from anywhere around. Well, this is kind of interesting because they had said that it was like they were receiving almost telepathic communication with visions in their mind of of different kinds of environmental uh, conditions and things that that, uh, people were doing wrong to the planet. And they got this very intense environmental preservation uh, feeling and imagery uh, did you discuss any of that in your book with about why the aliens are here? 
No, I don't really talk about that because, I mean, in reality, there's no way to know why, you know, if another intelligence, wherever it comes from, comes to our planet, uh, there's no way to know, you know, what their true intent is. Um, Right, but we could report what they say their intent is. You know, I mean that that we can do. We we may it might not be true, but if they say it in the contactees say it, right? It's it is a common theme within the reports, right? And you know, I've I've heard you know adults that have said, okay, yeah, you know, I I saw this entity and it told me we were hurting the earth, which you know I take that with a big grain of salt because uh, that's a popular theme right now. But this was back in 1992, and these are kids, and you wouldn't expect them to say that. And so I actually give more credence to those kids saying that than when I hear an adult say that 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 happened. Yeah, a lot of time kids, they don't have a reason to just make all of this stuff up. I mean, what kind of conspiracy would it be at this school if all of these kids had somehow managed to pull this off, this coordinated hoax on their teachers at that age about something that is that outlandish? It just, to me, it strains the credu- you know, the credibility of a skeptic to say that, oh, no, it's, you know, it's all a hoax or they didn't know what they were talking about. You know, we're going to break in a moment, so I want to just throw this out here, that one of our occasional guests, an old friend of mine, David Halperin, who started in UFO research as a teenager, he is a follower of the theory from Carl Jung of the collective unconscious as a very significant possible reason for UFOs. And he was on our show a couple of weeks back suggesting that these cases cited in the phenomenon were not manifestations of alien visitors and entities from outer space, but the collective unconscious and cited as an example to kind of support his point of view, the fact that they mimicked the movements of those who witnessed them, that it was some kind of shared illusion, I guess, is what he was saying. We have Robert Powell with a lot more to talk about. So just hang in there and we'll have his answer to that question. And more with Gene and Randall. It means you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. 
Attack of the Rockoids, and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veterans nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Robert, you have a scenario, collective unconscious, a collective vision. Have you looked into that possibility? No, but I understand what, you know, they're saying. And, of course, you know, that's a hypothesis that someone could propose as to exactly how that happens or, you know, how can you manifest something like that? I don't know. I never have a problem with someone having a hypothesis that maybe this could explain it. I, I usually have the problem once someone says, okay, that's a fact. That's how it happened. That's what's going on when, you know, they can't prove that's what's going on. Right. But of course, We can't necessarily prove. I mean, this is what we get into with the issue of proof, of course. And it goes all the way back to Edward Ruppelt's preface to his book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. What constitutes proof? Well, in the end, proof is just evidence that's sufficient enough for a person to believe a claim. Now, for some people, that evidence may be of one kind. For other people, that evidence may be of another for one person it may be less for another person it may be more so proof is more a subjective thing than evidence yeah i'm not sure if that's semantics or um i mean to, to me and, and there is some subjectivity into proof right so when exactly. i say you know my view is that ufos are controlled controlled by an unknown intelligence, there are plenty of people who would argue with me that there's just no proof of that, right? Right. But science doesn't seek to prove anything, really. And the only way we get proofs are mathematical proofs, you know? Right. So all it does is it seeks to provide evidence that can disprove a theory and then after enough times of proving that there, or, well, I shouldn't even use the word proving, after enough times of showing what they predict to be the case 
becomes the case, they assume that it will probably continue to be that way. But the, but they will readily say, well, it could happen, and the billionth time that it turns out different. We don't know for sure. But for now, we're going to go, well, this seems to be the way it is. Right. But, you know, I'll give you an, an example, like where I say, in my my view is that they are intelligently controlled. Let's assume you had never seen a bird before, and you observe these um, flying creatures and – and after you observe them long enough, you say, well, I, I believe they're intelligently controlled, which now since you and I know what birds are, we would know that is the correct understanding because they are intelligently controlled. The bird has intelligence. To me, intelligently controlled means they're not a random event that is not controlled just by normal Things such as wind, uh, air currents, you know, electro electrostatic charges, things such as that. Uh, intelligently controlled simply means that there is the ability to determine an object's movement. It's not random. Right. Of course, skeptics would have a heyday with that, right? I mean, <laughs> because you could say, well, then how do you know that? For sure. It could be the case that this just looks like something that's intelligently controlled. Well, and it had just happens to be the case that, although it's very unlikely, given a statistical probability that it would do such a thing, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. And therefore, you can't prove it was intelligently well, controlled. I can give ex example after example of where an object did show intelligent control. So, for example, in the case of the uh, November 14th, 2004 Nimitz incident, right? You've got an object which engages an F-18 aircraft. Uh, and the guy flying the aircraft is the commander of the squadron, uh, Annapolis graduate. We're Later, talking about David Fravor now, right? Right. Yeah, you know, this is really great. I'm so glad you brought this up because last week we had MJ Benias on and we went through exactly this case. And I was making the exact same points that I know you are about to make. And he goes, well, all we have is testimony. And testimony isn't evidence that really scientists can look at. No, we I, don't I even agree with him. And, and we is evidence. I agree with. Uh, yeah, I'm. A, I'm with you. I, if I'm, you know, <laughs> if I'm a scientist and I look through a microscope and I see a cell divide, that is that is my testimony based on right. my observation. Right. But then MJ says, "Well, we could say the same thing, you know, about Moses encountering the the burning bush." That's just his testimony. And I, and I maintained with him that I said, no, I mean, I, I think I just actually literally burst out in laughter and said, that is such a straw man. How can you compare somebody from, you know, centuries ago with next to no edu education compared to even the most modestly education person? person from today, let alone the commander of a fighter squadron who pilots an, you know, an F-15. Right. I mean, I, I think <laughs> Just, this argument is ridiculous. And, and he disagreed. I called it a straw man. He said it wasn't. What do you think? No, I think his argument's ridiculous. 
um, you're, he's talking about something that was written down 2,000 years ago or farther, and, and there's only one person that wrote it down. And in this case, you have a modern event that happened by a, a, an Annapolis graduate. Not only do you have his testimony, you have his co-pilot's testimony, and then you have a second F-18 that was flying at 20,000 feet above them. And there was the lieutenant commander, James Slate who's also an Annapolis graduate. He was number two in command, and I personally interviewed James Slate. And there's no doubt that the object um, interacted with Fravor. Yeah, that's what it seems like, doesn't it? And actually, I think MJ's, if it wasn't Moses, it was uh, the Golden Tablets by was it Smith, the Mormons, I think. Joseph Smith was that, was that oh, his name? Yeah, you know, it's, which is a little a little more modern, but still, I mean, I I don't see the comparison to a religious between a religious prophet and a modern day fighter squadron pilot from an aircraft carrier. No, is, <laughs> and there's just case after case of this, right? You've got like the coin case where you've got four National Guardsmen in a helicopter, and the object comes racing towards them, and they think it's going to crash into them, and then suddenly stops right in front yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. The object yeah, builds up the entire windshield. But don't get me wrong here, though. We love MJ Benias. He is one of the best people to have these kinds of discussions with. He's also on the, the SCU yes. with you guys. And yes, has they have just started a, a new website called The Debrief, which uh, everybody out there listening should also go and visit. So, yes, so. and they just released right that case of where an F eighteen in the year two thousand nineteen supposedly has a photograph, right? And he he could use his own arguments against his own article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so these are really fun, actually. Uh, Gene, have we got time to get this question in before the break, or should we wait till after the break? You know, at this point, why don't we hold that for the break? Give everybody a cliffhanger. We do have a question from another listener, regular listener, coming up. By the way, Robert Powell will hang out with us after this episode for After the Paracast, which is an exclusive podcast offered in the Paracast Plus. To sign up for the Paracast Plus, go to theparacast.plus. That's it, theparacast.plus. We have lower prices, and for those getting five-year or lifetime subscriptions, They get a coupon code for a free copy of The Phenomenon, the documentary from James Fox, which includes three hours of extra material. You know, it's like a triple director's cut there. More to come with Gene and Randall and Robert. You're in The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. 
First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Attention business owners, body slammed by overwhelming debt. If your business is in trouble, hassled by creditors, if you're frustrated, finally fed up with big business bailouts while your business has been left for dead, please listen close. There's a brand new fast track bankruptcy. Some have even called it the biggest small business bailout in American history. Designed for individuals and their businesses. And look, almost no one knows about this yet. My attorney wasn't even aware of it. The truth is, beating the system has never been easy because it's rigged in a sense against the little guy. But here's the jaw-dropping news nobody's talking about. They've literally just changed the system so that you can beat it. But only if you understand how the new game has to be played. Find out if you qualify at pocketsoflight.com. This government-backed small business repair program is still legal, but may not be renewed after the election. Fight back fairly. Fight back ethically at pocketsoflight.com. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Arco Super Tea helps build the red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. That's shop, S-H-O-P, super, S-U-P-E-R, T-T-E-A, dot com. So the complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. That's shopsupertea.com at 818-984-6100. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Now, when we announce a guest on the Paracast, we have a 
forum thread in the question bank at the official Paracast forums where we give you a chance to pose questions of our guests ahead of time. Randall, we've got one more from a regular listener. Yeah, we sure do. One of our regular forum participants and listeners to the show, Farlig Goldstein. And he's actually got several points here, so we'll just sort of go through them and one by one and, and see what you make of these, Robert. Uh, I'll just read them straight off. He says, Robert's book, The Truth About UFOs, has a chapter, Where Do UFOs Come From? Would you care to discuss your thoughts on where they come from? Sure. In the book, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, for the kids, and I tell them, I'm explaining to them here about the difference between a fact and a hypothesis, right? And so I tell them, you know, someone may think that they come out of the ocean, right? And they're an ancient civilization that lived here before us. Someone else may say, oh, they're time travelers from the future. Or someone may say they come from another part of the universe. In other words, uh, another solar system. And so I said, let's take that latter example. And so I go through... Okay, what the concept of the ETH or the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and I talk to them about the speed of light, how fast light travels. I talk to them about uh, extrasolar planets that we've discovered over 4,000 now. I tell them that we already have plans to be able to send a computer chip to Proxima Centauri. Uh, at 20% the speed of light. So then I just ask the reader, so what if a more intelligent civilization was capable of sending an object at the speed of light? And then I explain that for Proxima Centauri, it would only take four years to get here. You know, another star system, 20 years. And of course, there are other stars hundreds or thousands of light years away so it's going to be hundreds or thousands of years to get here. But then I also say, but what if one of those civilizations has figured out how to travel by some method that's faster than the speed of light? Now, I don't go in and discuss wormholes or warping space because that's beyond uh, what kids of this age are going to understand. But I basically expose them to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Now, jumping away from the book, my personal view is it is the most likely hypothesis. And again, you know, the national media, when you say that, they don't understand the difference between a hypothesis and a fact and what a hypothesis means. Uh, To a scientist, it means I could change my mind tomorrow if, if I have some information that says, no, it's probably not from another solar system, right? So that's just my view of the most likely uh, scenario to explain uh, UFOs. I happen to agree with that. and uh, I, But I'd like to ask you why you think it's the most likely. And you know, I, I have my reasons. But, but why do you think it is the most likely when there are so many other uh, options to choose from. Well, for me, it's I don't. It's almost instinctive. It's like I can't see time travel. 
it's hard to fathom that there was a race before us that still exists on the earth that we never found. A dimension, you know, another dimension is just too abstract. Uh, there's there's nothing to support that. But in the case of extrasolar planets, I mean, we we know there's now over 4,000, and we know some of those live in a habitable zone. We know that life is ubiquitous everywhere. I mean, it's like on the Earth, it can live down in, uh, you know, steam at the bottom of the ocean in vents. We've got life that we've now determined can actually live in outer space for a number of days. I know spores can live for years in space. So there's all this evidence that life is, is going to be everywhere. I mean, we know that water exists everywhere now, right? Before, we didn't know if it existed outside of the Earth or outside of our solar system. But they have now found nebula with huge amounts of water in it. And sure, and comets, and, and a lot of the water on Earth right. came from space. Yeah, so, well, that makes perfect sense. And you know what I love about this book so far? The way that you describe it is you mix in just this right amount of real-world science so that if they get interested in it, it sends them down that path. Because the real-world science is just as amazing and interesting to think about as the idea that there could be alien visitation. I absolutely love that you've included that in there. So that's really cool. Yeah, and you know, I've got to say, I mentioned SETI, and I really have a little bit of a beef with SETI. Please, so, I was going to ask you about SETI. This is a great time. Go ahead. So, so now let's let me just run the vi- visitor through what SETI believes, right? They believe that there is life on stars far away from us, right? And if you ask a SETI scientist, he says, yes, I think it's – he won't say absolutely. He knows it because he doesn't. But he says, I think it's very likely, right? So then you, if you ask him, oh, okay, so life is very likely. Is some of that life more intelligent than us? And then I would say – Almost absolutely, some of it's going to be more intelligent than us. And then if you ask, could it be hundreds, thousands of years more intelligent than us? Yes. Yes, it would be. So then the next question you ask is, would they know we're here, right? Now, if you ask a SETI guy 20 years ago that question, he would say, no, there's no way they're going to know we're here, but, you know, we're just a little speck out here in the cosmos. But today, that same SETI scientist is forced to have to say, well, if they exist, they probably know we're here. And why would he say that? Because we are already on the verge of being able to look at the atmospheres of extrasolar planets, right? And any species, wherever it's at, that looks at our planet is going to determine that not only do we have oxygen in this atmosphere, but we've got hydrocarbon pollutants that are artificial, such as plastics. If their equipment's sensitive enough, they'll pick up isotopes of plutonium and uranium in our atmosphere from our nuclear explosions from the 50s and 60s. And if they're really good, they'll be able to look at the night side of the Earth and say, 
well, that's strange. We've got light that's of a certain wavelength on the backside of that planet. That looks pretty artificial. So You know what's going to be artificial, these announcements? And because they generate by a computer with human people. No, seriously, Robert, Gene, and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. USA Radio News with Dan Naraki. President Trump was back on the campaign trail Saturday night, this time in Georgia, to back the incumbent Republican senators in a pair of runoff elections. Senator Kelly Leffler is facing off with Democratic challenger Raphael Warnock, while Senator David Perdue takes on John Ossoff. At a rally in Valdosta, Georgia, the president emphasized what he says is at stake in the runoffs. The stake in this election is control of the U.S. Senate, and that really means control of this country. The voters of Georgia will determine which party runs every committee, writes every piece of legislation, controls every single taxpayer dollar. Very simply, you will decide whether your children will grow up in a socialist country or whether they will grow up in a free country. President-elect Joe Biden said he would also campaign in Georgia for Ossoff and Warnock before Georgians head back to the polls on January 5th. This is USA Radio News. A New York woman who was born during the Spanish flu pandemic has survived COVID. Valdior has the story from the USA Radio News, Texas Bureau. Her name is Angelina Friedman, and her recovery from coronavirus made national news back in the spring, yet she recently survived a second bout with the disease. Daughter Joanne Marola says her mom not only beat COVID at 101 years old, she's beaten it at 102, and she's no stranger to tough times. During the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, Friedman was born on a passenger ship taking immigrants from Italy to New York City. Her mother died giving birth on that ship. Miss Friedman is in a nursing home now and first tested positive for COVID in mid-March, was clear in mid-April. With the latest positive diagnosis in late October, she was cleared on November 17th. From the Texas USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Val Dior. And the U.S. is ending five cultural exchange programs with China. As tensions between the two nations rise, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the programs were soft power propaganda tools and were paid for and operated by the Chinese government. This is USA Radio News. 
Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. My name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. Now, Farlick has some other comments and questions we're going to get to. But with Robert Powell, now that we raise the specter, specter, the specter, I'm just thinking James Bond, the specter of SETI. The thing I wonder about, which is a logical question to ask, okay, E.T. is aware of us even if they're not here. They're aware that we exist. They obviously are more advanced, so they have instrumentation that's more sensitive. Why haven't they said hello? How come we can't pick up their signals? Okay, so that's a good question. Why haven't they said hello? Well, there we're having to try to guess their intent or their why. And and that's a very difficult thing to do. But just to jump back onto SETI, because I just can't, I can't resist. Once they admit that E.T. would know we're here, the only question now is, can E.T. get here? It's difficult for me to handle the arrogance that because we can't get there, therefore they can't get here. Furthermore, when you hear them talk, it's always, we will discover E.T. I mean, if you just think about the logic, E.T. is more intelligent than us. They're going to discover us before we discover them. Now, to your question, why haven't they communicated with us? That kind of goes back to our view that we're so important that they should communicate with us. For all we know, they they could care less. Maybe we're just one of many hundreds of planets they observe, and we're no more important than any of the other hundred planets they've looked at. Well, the other question I wonder about here is technology. We're assuming, I guess, that they develop technology for wireless communication that we could recognize and tune our SETI receivers to pick up. Right. SETI is improving there, and they're widening the the frequency band that they're looking at, you know, with the advents and the improvements with computers. They're now able to look at many more frequencies. I think if an ET civilization was out there that wanted to communicate with us, they could. Now, the other question I have to ask here, and you as a scientist can possibly provide the answer. 
What is the nature of the signals that they can receive? Obviously, they measure things, characteristics about our planet, that we have advanced technology, that we have artificial light. Can they pick up our radio and TV broadcasts? I would think so. Okay, so therefore, it's almost like the movie Galaxy Quest. Remember Galaxy Quest, a send-up of Star Trek, where the protagonists there include a bunch of washed-up actors who appeared in this TV show that's no longer around, and their sole occupation is to go to conventions. And then this alien race picks up the signals, but mistakes them instead of being sci-fi shows as historical documents and builds their entire society around it, including creating the Star Trek or the Galaxy Quest spaceship using the same ridiculous technology specified in the TV shows. (laughs) So, of course, we wonder then, how would E.T. react to the adventures of Superman, to I Love Lucy, to any modern shows, to House of Cards? Would they understand play acting, drama? Yeah, I don't know that they would. I I suspect they would just look at it as a a lot of noise coming from our planet, whether they would bother to actually uh, try to learn and decipher it. I don't know. The other question being, of course, is if they picked up evidence of radiation from nuclear tests, how long would it take for them to, to get from where they are to us? Or are we ignoring a warp drive and wormholes? Yeah, the only way they're getting to us quickly is is warp drives or wormholes. There's There have been theoretical papers written on it, but we haven't the foggiest idea how that could actually be done in real life. Remember, uh, 2063. Right. <laughs> 20, <laughs> yes, Zephyr Cochran will take off. Well, before we get to the end of the show here, I'd like to get uh, Farley Goldstein's other questions in, if that's okay with you guys. Sure. Okay, or if so, they say um, in court, I'll allow it. All right. Uh, Farley says, I wondered if Robert keeps up on recent attempts to construct sophisticated UFO detection and observation platforms. And if so, does he know the status of any such projects? One example of recent memory that uh, is Christopher O'Brien's San Luis Valley camera project. And he thinks there have been others as well, including some associated with the SCU and that one group planned to launch several microsatellites. Do you have any idea? Have you been keeping up with any of those? I've kept up with it. Um, as a matter of fact, the SCU is uh, affiliated with another organization called Skyhub, S-K-Y-H-U-B. I think it's .org. And Skyhub is, is basically putting together systems that, uh, with diagrams, software, instructions that you could build yourself that they basically monitor the sky using an all-sky camera. And then it has a second camera, which if the all-sky camera detects something moving, then the other camera zooms in on it. And these systems would be tied into the Internet so that all the data goes to one location. Uh, So they're working on that 
uh, now, and I think those guys are making good progress. Uh, several SCU members are part of Skyhub. Very interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, we really ought to get Christopher O'Brien back on the show sometime uh, in the not too distant future as well, because their project, uh, they can set anyone in the world up with one of their cameras and network it into their system as well. So, yeah, I, it's just a matter of time unless these aliens can, of course, they seem to be able to control electronics. But, uh, you know, unless they interfere with them before we get some real pictures. Now, Farlig also asks, this is his last question, and it's a really interesting one. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to your answer on this, even if it's hypothetical. He's wondering if you have any knowledge of any data that the National Reconnaissance Office, NRO, may have collected over the years. Uh, yeah, I, I know the NRO's... They've got to be collecting data, right, as well as NORAD. Um, but, you know, you can't get access to that data. Um, that's the problem. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to, to, you know, be a fly on the wall in some of those monitoring rooms, though, you know? Right. I mean, they, yeah. the, this is the office that's got satellites out beyond the moon that look back on the other side of the moon. Right. As, as a matter of fact, I mean, you could end the question of UFOs being uh, extraterrestrial if you could get access to that data. Uh, I mean, if they exist, it's on that data. If it's not on that data, it's not very likely they exist. Uh, but I'm sure there's got to be really good data that, that has been collected on that. Now, I will throw a caveat in there. I, I'm not even sure that the NRO, for example, or NORAD um, looks at all their data, right? Because you've got um, thousands of pieces of satellites that are, you know, broken off. They're in uh, low Earth orbit that they have to monitor all the time. So if you can imagine your radar systems picking all this debris up and you're trying to track it, right? I mean, you've got literally trillions of pieces of data every second. We've got just a few pieces of data for you to evaluate. And then a final segment with Robert and Gene and Randall, you're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, the Paracast dot plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out 
theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. We all have heard about the benefits of fish oils, but what about the presence of heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, furans, and other contaminants found in fatty tissues of fish? GCNteam.com recognizes this risk and offers IFOS certified tested omega-3 fatty acids. EPA, DHA, insist on IFOS omega-3 fatty acid certification. Get the best at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. There's so much hand sanitizer on the market, but beware, not all hand sanitizers are created equal. That's why you want to use 2020 Safe Hand Sanitizer. You can trust the hand sanitizer on 2020safe.net to be made with the highest quality ingredients, American-made, with American ingredients, employing Americans. Log on now to 2020safe.net and order your one liter today. Normally $29.99, but reduced to $19.99, so hurry while supplies last and receive a bonus. That's right. You'll receive a 30-count bottle of Immune Booster, a $39.95 value, free, by using code GCN at checkout. Right now, click 2020safe.net. That's 2020safe.net to get our one-liter bottle of high-quality hand sanitizer with your free bonus. A 30-count bottle of Immune Booster, valued at $39.95. Remember to enter GCN at checkout. And the bonus is yours, free, 2020safe.net. The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing, and you always need to be sticking your fingers. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. You simply apply a discreet, easy-to-use sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger pricks. If you test your blood sugar at least four times per day and inject insulin at least three times per day or use an insulin pump and have private insurance or medical care, you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks. 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. That's 800-880-1896. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. So, Robert Powell, that's a question with all that data to analyze. Some of it is just set aside as noise? Yes. I I suspect what happens is they've got uh, algorithms that have been written that say all we're interested in is an object in orbit or an object that has the features of an ICBM, right? or an object changing its orbit. I don't think they're interested in an object which is just sitting there not moving and then suddenly takes off at 20,000 miles an hour. I think that just gets thrown out as part of the noise. Or I would think that that would get picked up as 
part of what's not the noise because it would be interesting, right? It's a change because it, it would be to you know, a scientist. But if you think about the military, what are they worried about? They're only worried about an ICBM coming up out of the atmosphere. They're worried about satellites. They're worried about satellites changing orbit. They've got so much data that if they try to look at all the data. Well, I think you're absolutely right about filters. They're going to have that. So, you know, it's like the CIA and their listening stations. Like if you say the word bomb, right. like, I did, like, like I just did say maybe, you know, a, a few too many times. Like if I and said we're the on word, their radar, <laughs> you know, bomb again, now we're already on their radar, right? Some system out there is listening through what we're doing right now, probably before we've even put it out on the air or out for download and knows, uh oh, there we go. We've got some ping. Somebody out there is talking about bomb, right? The word, there's no reason that they can't do this with other kinds of filtering. And, and we know that they do. I mean, we know that they've got radar that is so sensitive that it can actually paint a picture of what it's bouncing off of and then match that up to databases of different kinds of aircraft that it corresponds to. You know, Absolutely. But, but most people don't know that. You know, I can imagine that if something were to fly in from space and come in over some restricted airspace, that you would think it's their job to get on it and figure out what it is. Yeah, that they would detect. If it, you know, came into a lower atmosphere and went over restricted airspace, they're going to detect that. But I'll give you an example of how filtering causes problems. Uh, 9-11, right? Remember when the guys turned off the transponders and their right. aircraft disappeared off the radar? Well, it wouldn't. they wouldn't disappear off military radar, though. Well, they wouldn't even disappear off FAA radar because FAA radar also tracks objects without transponders. But they filter that out because the aircraft controller doesn't want to be looking at all this ton of data on his screen. So they filter out what's not important, and they define not important is if it doesn't have a transponder, it's not important. So when those guys turned off the transponders, those things disappeared. And they didn't get them back on their radar screen until some of the older aircraft controllers who knew how to bring in your primary radar back into the screen did that so that you could see the planes again. Of course, by then, 15, 30 minutes goes by. It's too late. Yeah, you you can bet though that the military people were watching what was going on with that. But the, when you when they were going through the investigation on a lot of that, there was really lousy communication between the military radar operators and the people who would have been responsible for doing any kind of an intercept or doing anything about it. Exactly. That's a typical bureaucracy. What I think happens with all the UFO data for the last 70 years, I don't think that there's this one organization that controls it all so that they can know, put all the information together and figure out what's going on. I think it's all in little silos and each you know bureaucratic group does whatever they do with their piece of data. So we've had some whistleblowers, uh, like Ralph Blum. He had a insider who worked in NORAD that he didn't name, but very much like the beginning of Close Encounters, where this track comes in on their system, 
and they bring it to the attention of this the senior officer and the senior officer goes it's a bolide and then they kind of watch it and then it stops and the operator is going sir the bolide is now hovering over a small town in Winskinson. kind of <laughs> you know that sort of thing right so oh yeah I mean, you've got all these big screens. They're tracking all this stuff. They've got probably hundreds of operators around the world because they've got worldwide sites. And and so to me, to think that they've got all these people looking at these screens with this stuff going on, because allegedly there's thousands of these tracks a year and they're just watching them and doing nothing about it. I just don't. And I told John Alexander this. I just don't believe it. Somebody must be doing something because that's their job. Yeah, you would sure think so. But... I don't know. I'm, you know, this is a gray area for me. I'm like torn between idiocy and <laughs> some secrecy. You know, I'm not sure which it is. Yeah, that's but, a really good phrase. Torn between idiocy and secrecy. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's in there somewhere, and it's probably a mix of both. Maybe you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it is a mixture of of both. You know, where you have both situations going on. I love that, though. Yeah, the bolide, it's hovering. <laughs> yeah. Gene, what do you think about all that? Well, you know about bolides, of course, is if they start talking to you, <laughs> then we know we've got a problem because no, not, it gets real serious. Not, not bovines. <laughs> I said bolides. Bovines, talking cows. You know, we are running out of time here. We only have a couple of minutes before we do our closing credits ahead of after the Paracast. So I want to ask you, what sort of work are you engaged in right now that we're going to really want to know about? Well, you know, within SCU, we have over 100 members now, and they just come to us. It's not like we go out looking for them. And so we've got teams that are looking at everything from, you know, what is the intent to looking at USOs to looking at, gosh, what's the other team doing that's, that we've got? We have a peer review team that peer reviews uh, science papers on the subject. Um, then we've got a team that puts together our quarterly review. And we've got another team that's just forming that's looking at, are there any ideas we can come up with that could explain the propulsion characteristics of these objects? We've got a lot of teams working on things, and these are all people with degrees in uh, physics and engineering, astronomy. So it's uh, a lot more people, a lot lot smarter than me. If someone wants to get more information on the things that you're working on and want to maybe participate or at least observe the information about it, where do they go? Well, if they go to Explore SCU. Dot org. Everything we've completed is published there, so they can look at all the papers we've written, the paper we wrote on the Nimitz case, the Aguadilla case, the Stephenville case. And if they're interested in joining, there's also a location there where they can send an application and a resume. And every resume and application that we get goes before the uh, SCU board. And so we you know, try to make sure that everyone in the organization is, you know, serious about the subject. It's not like you send $39 and you get no. your card <laughs> or you take a three minute course and become a seasoned We're investigator. Not like <laughs> I didn't mention the MUFON word, folks, because I understand that we can't use that kind of language 
on GCN. <laughs> you can find us over on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. I don't know why. Too many politicians dominate that place. Same thing for Facebook. We're there, too. You can also buy branded merchandise that includes one of four different official Paracast logos at theparacast.shop. That's theparacast.shop. These domains cost a lot of money, so we hope you'll visit them and buy some stuff to help pay off the price for these domains. We also have the Paracast.plus. What that is, the Paracast Plus, is a special expanded version of this show, free of the network ads, better audio, and the After the Paracast podcast, where Robert Powell will continue talking with us. To learn more, go to theparacast.plus. And by the way, we still have special prices. And for those ordering five-year or lifetime subscriptions, we give you a coupon code for a free copy of The Phenomenon, the UFO documentary from James Fox. And we also include three hours of extras. Theparacast.plus, theparacast.plus. Robert Powell, we always enjoy talking with you. Thanks for joining us on The Paracast. I've enjoyed being on The Paracast. Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.